Hey, 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 closet busters and bold move makers. It is time once again for Life Uncloset. So I want you to gather around because it is time once again to kick down those closet doors of your life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens. I'm the bold move expert and that coming out guy who's going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloset. So come on along with me and grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step into facing your fears, making your bold moves, and living life without apologies. Now let's get to the show. Hello, Life Uncloseted family. It is time once again for Life Uncloseted. I am your host, Rick Clemens, and I just want to say happy Pride. We are in the midst of Pride Month right now. And I always love this season. I know this year it's a little bit different because we're not getting out there and mixing and mingling and rubbing shoulders and taking shirts off and dancing and partying and all that sort of stuff. But we can do all of that in, in our own way as long as we remember we're all very prideful, very queer, very LGBTQ, very gender nonconforming. Whatever it is we are, I want all of us to celebrate pride this year in a really, really big way. And I know for some of you, you still may be like trying to figure your way out of the closet. So if there's anything we can do here at Life Uncloseted, hop on over to lifeuncloseted.com. You'll find my whole website there with everything that we do. We'd love to support you in any way that we can as you start to escape those closets of your life. So let's dive into today's conversation. And I'm going to tell you that I'm very excited about this one. I know I say that a lot, but this one is actually something I'm very excited about because I haven't had the pleasure of having someone from our beautiful transgender brothers and sisters on the podcast in a while. And I'm not going to tell you the other piece of it because I want her to be able to kind of talk about the other thing that really makes her very, very unique as a transgender woman. She has a brand new book that just came out in May, and it is one where she kind of just shares the fairest of everything about her journey. So I would just like to welcome someone that I'm very, very proud to be introducing into our Pride celebration, Meredith Taliesin. So Meredith, thank you so much for being here and bringing your beautiful story to the world. I'm so excited about this. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. So let's just dive in. I'm going to just give you the mic. You just tell your story and then I'm just going to back off. I'm just kidding, of course. So, <laughs> but, um, so Meredith, Meredith was not who you physically were when you came into the world, but you must have had those inklings as most people who go through that transgender journey. You must have known something at a very early age about yourself that said, something's not quite right here. Yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting just because in some ways I'm, I feel like I'm atypical in the sense that how I felt and what I thought of myself at a young age was not that, oh, there's something wrong. Mm -hmm. um, I think in part because in the Philippines where I grew up, um, you know, there's a, there's a completely different gender system. Third gender people are more accepted, at least in indigenous culture before, right. you know, the Spanish came along. So me having feelings like, oh, like I actually wouldn't mind if I were a girl, you know, mm -hmm. like I don't, you know, like that's not something that would necessarily be terrible, um, wasn't a thing that I identified as a particular cause for concern. Yeah. 
it wasn't something that I thought, oh, you know, like this is, you know, like this is, you know, whatever, like weird or um, et cetera, et cetera. You know, like I had a lot of the people who I looked up to, a lot of the people who I emulated as mm-hmm. a child were women, but that doesn't, that didn't necessarily raise a red flag for me. Um, and it, And it's interesting because in a lot of ways, it was the fact that I was attracted to boys that was more present, you know, right. because because that was more visible and not allowed, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas the idea of me, you know, sort of being a girl or liking girls, you know, like liking the idea of being a girl, that was something that I knew, but it wasn't something that, um, it wasn't something that I felt I had like really sort of tortured feelings about. Right. Which was also probably part of the reason why I didn't think of it as something that I needed to particularly pay attention to until mm-hmm. later in life. Right. Um, and th- I think that's very different from, you know, like a lot of stories that we hear from other trans people, mm-hmm. you know, be- because they grow up, you know, because Western culture is more patriarchal men and women, boys and girls are more segregated um, in the West. So I feel like it's much more likely for somebody who is assigned male, who is living their life as a boy, and suddenly feels like, oh, you know, like I have feelings that I want to be a girl, that is much more likely to cause them crisis, right? There's a piece of the puzzle, though, we haven't addressed yet that, that has probably been as much of a challenge as this you know, suddenly, oh, this transgender are being attracted to boys and da, da 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 da. There's a whole nother part of you that makes you very unique. So why don't you? That is that is true. In? I am I am in fact albino, and um, I grew up in the Philippines, and I grew up in a fairly rural part of the Philippines. So I grew up in a place where m- a lot of the people that I interacted with had never seen a person with blonde hair and fair skin. Mm-hmm. So. Um, that's another really different aspect of me um, as a trans woman. A lot of a lot of trans women they come from, you know, like a a, a place where they're seen as normal, um, and then you know, like they are seen as unusual when they um, when they come out as trans and when they transition. Mm-hmm. That has never been true for me. I've I've always been unusual. I've always been different. You know, like mm-hmm. from the earliest of my memories, I've always stood out. Um, and so in some sense, that was actually easier for me when I transitioned because I already know how it felt to be different mm-hmm. from everybody else. Yeah. But do you find that that piece, because here's where we're going to start going deep and a lot of people know this, but I think this is a beautiful time to really go a little bit deeper on this. I've heard from many trans women, especially trans women of color, Mm-hmm. that <clears throat> it's even more difficult. And I know for my, you know, transgen- or, I'm sorry, bisexual and gay and lesbian brothers and sisters of culture, so Filipino being one of them, that if they come out gay or lesbian, it's like this whole interesting cultural thing. But I know if I were walking past you, you know, on the street, I probably wouldn't really go, oh, I, I think she's Filipino. 
it's this passing white that would happen probably first. And no, I'm not a racist, but I'm just saying how most people would probably perceive you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And And it's probably in its own unique, interesting way, a little bonus in your world. I mean, it definitely is a privilege, you know, white passing is certainly a privilege. It Mm -hmm. definitely makes it easier for me. I also, you know, I also, in most contexts, pass as cisgender, you know, people Mm -hmm. who don't know me um, can't usually tell that I'm trans. And I think the combination of those things means that I am less subject to discrimination than people who are more visibly trans and mm-hmm. who are more visibly people of color, especially especially black. Um, but the flip side of that is that it also isolates me from the communities that yeah. you know that I belong to so that um, so that I'm not, you know, like I'm not white um, and I'm not cisgender. So mm-hmm. I don't, you know, and I myself have no real, you know, like different people have different attitudes and opinions about, you know, like their positions relative to their identities, but I have no desire to be seen or, you know, or to be identified as um, white or cisgender. I, I really value both being trans and being a person of color. Um, But at the same time, I also have to deal with the fact that my experience is, you know, markedly different from also from the communities that I belong to. As you've started to move through this in your own different ways, because, you know, the albinism and then, you know, obviously coming out as trans, it's moved you into some really unique spaces where you get to have impact, not only from your journalism and like you, you're on Condé Nast LGBTQ digital platforms at this point, but do you find in your own circle, and I'm specifically referring to the transgender circle, mm-hmm. that there's this, and you kind of already touched on it, so that's why I'm going to go here, that there's like this jealousy, this, as you said, isolation, that suddenly, well, she kind of just, quote, passes, which I, I know that's the terminology we use, but it's like, well, she's just a woman, you know, which can be a really good thing for mm-hmm. trans brothers and sisters. Do you find it in your own community that suddenly that just kind of adds another layer of you don't get to really fit in with them because you're working in these jobs and getting to da 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 da? Right. I mean, that's, you know, that definitely happens, right? I think definitely, especially early in my transition, that was more of an issue. Mm -hmm. I think part of, partly because, you know, like I transitioned in my early 20s. Um, there weren't as many people who were trans- transitioning that young mm-hmm. at that point. Um, and then also, you know, like there wasn't as much access to feminization surgeries, for instance, right. you know, like which helps people um, to be able to, you know, like live their lives without being, you know, being seen as trans. And I mm-hmm. think definitely like at the time you know the transitioning as a young trans woman um it it was difficult and there were issues around those types of questions of you know like people being jealous or people being dismissive of your problems you know because not out of any kind of malice but just because they were dealing with much you know much harder 
realities than you. Um, Now I feel like, you know, like I feel like it's, I feel like over time, the trans community, one of the ways in which the trans community has evolved has definitely been for us to be able to name those problems, you know, more and face them more squarely, because I think that was, you know, like a really important piece to be able to be really honest with each other about, you know, like the ways in which we affect each other. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I feel like now, you know, even though, even though those issues can still arise, I feel like um, at least among my friendship circle, there's more of a space for us to, you know, for us to talk about it, right? That, Mm -hmm. you know, that yes, like I move through the world, um, you know, I move through the world differently than, um, than other trans people, some, you know, like some of whom are my friends, but that's not necessarily my fault, right? Like it's not, it's not that I am, you know, it's not that I'm intentionally um, trying to somehow, you know, like separate myself from other trans people. That's just how the world, you know, like that's how the world orients itself towards me. And as I try as much as I can to, you know, to really be as inclusive of all trans people as possible. And I think people appreciate that, um, you know, wherever, you know, like whatever their position is in the community. It's interesting because when I came out of the closet, I came out at age 36 and I'm a big guy and, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I present, I'm just a big masculine guy and I have had people and I know it's just who they are <laughs> um, in their own perception of the world. Like, oh yeah, but it's so much easier for you to, you know, to just pass as a regular guy. I'm like, well, I am a regular guy. I just happen to be gay, you know? And it's almost like this like little bit of bitterness that comes off of them. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I didn't do anything to do this. I just, I have, my body is a big, <laughs> a big guy, you know? And until I really realized, oh, I see the struggle. Cause there, there's definitely struggle that some people have, like, you know, it's like the gaydar thing, <laughs> you know, it can go off in a heartbeat, but it's like hard for some people to own that piece of, well, look at you and you get by so easily. And I'm like, yes, but I didn't intentionally come out of the closet to get by easily being out of the closet. It's, it was hard enough in its own ways for me to come out. And so I find the parallel kind of interesting as you were talking, it's like, Oh yeah, I felt like, I've felt some of that myself, not to the degree that that you have because of your journey, but I can see that interesting, like, well, it's just easier for you. you Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is that, and the thing is that when people say things like that, you know, it, it is, it's emotional Mm -hmm. in the moment, but I also try to remember that, that often those people are operating and, and, expressing themselves from a place of trauma you know like it's not because they're being malicious it's because they've had experiences that have made it really difficult for them you know to function in the world and if they're you know they don't necessarily you know we can't always expect people to behave perfectly or direct whatever it is their anger or their frustration in the you know like in the direction that they should they they should rightly go in because sometimes they don't have access to those people that happens you know to me a lot where i feel like because 
I'm a trans person, you know, the I'm it's easier in some ways because they're more accessible for people to express their frustrations about the world than with somebody who is not trans and wouldn't just not listen to them, right? right? right. Yeah. And that's yeah. something that I try to just really absorb because, you know, because of the fact that I have this amount of relative privilege um, compared to some of, you know, some of, uh, you know, some other trans people in the world. Mm -hmm. But I also think there's a piece, and I don't know that this, I know I'm just going to put this in the general world. So in Mm -hmm. the general heterosexual, heteronormative, whatever you want to call it, I don't think there's any such thing as a normal world, especially now that we've all been enduring the whole COVID thing and everything. It's like, well, let's, let's get back to the norm or let's get to the new norm. There's never a norm. It's just what is, right? Right. But I, I think what's interesting, and this doesn't get talked about enough, and I've been, I've had plenty of trans friends, both male and female, is as a woman, mm-hmm. I can only imagine, but I know most people don't think about this, that suddenly as you stepped into your truth, mm-hmm. you probably started feeling the pressure of living in that truth. Oh, sure. From other women especially mm-hmm. since you since you have this unique passable piece which i've heard this from other trans women it's like yeah i'm not passable and so you know it's really the pressure to be pretty and to be more feminine and all this sort of stuff it's like you know when i came out of the closet there was a lot of people telling me well here's how you do gay well no i'm gay the way i am but i know women in society Mm-hmm. it's much like, okay, well, this is what a woman's supposed to do and this is how they're supposed to show up and this is da 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 I can only imagine that suddenly that became part of the equation for you. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think because of the fact that all of a sudden you have a whole different orientation, you have a whole different sort of like, you have different references, you have different models. And I think, definitely an early transition, um, you know, like you just absorb everything that, not everything, but a lot of the things that people tell you you're supposed to be as a woman. And, you know, like definitely an early transition, I was significantly more femme. I was much more, you know, the concerned about my appearance and, you know, and looking good and being thin and, you know, like all of the things that, um, that one might think of, uh, you know, like a young woman in her 20s in, um, you know, like in a major city. And at the same time, it was also a period where, um, it was also a period where I was enjoying the, you know, the the relative advantages of being in that Mm -hmm. position, right? Like I, I, it was really funny just because, I was working on a piece. Um, I can't even remember exactly what it was about, but um, I mentioned something about the fact that, um, you know, like the boutique owners used to, um, you know, like either give me discounts or, you know, like, or give me like irregular, you know, like slightly irregular clothes because they Mm -hmm. wanted me to wear their clothes. And Mm -hmm. one of my, you know, like my editor was just like, wait, like that's not normal. And I, and, um, and it was one of those things where like, it wasn't even something that I was thinking about, but it was true that during that period, because 
you know, like when I transitioned, I transitioned into, you know, like somebody who is, you know, who was just like very, who, who fit into this mold, right? Like of a wayfish, blonde, Mm -hmm. thin, you know, sort of exotic looking woman. And so as a result, um, you know, like there, I did have opportunities that other people, that other people probably didn't, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, that came with all of the pressure, you know, that as soon as you, you know, like it's, there are, for instance, it's really funny just because as we're talking about this, I used to go to a designer who I loved, you know, whose boutique I loved, whose clothes I loved, whose dresses I loved um, back when I was a size zero to two, right? Mm. Um, and now that I am, you know, like, and it's even ridiculous that I'm telling you this, but it's true, you know, like now that I'm a size six, which is like normal, it's mm-hmm. not even average, like the, the average women's size in America is like a size 12. Right. Um, but because of the fact that I went to that boutique when I was a particular size and I can only imagine wearing that designer's clothes you know, when I was that size and I think of myself as not looking good because I remember when I was that size and I was wearing those clothes. Mm -hmm. I just don't go to that designer anymore. Even though I still really like her clothes, Mm -hmm. I can't see myself in them because I saw myself when I was a size two in them. And I, and I think to myself that I look better, right? You know, those are, those are some of the pressures that, you know, that you, that you deal with, even though at the same time, you know, consciously they're kind of ridiculous, right? Um, what about violence? Have you had any... What about acts? violence? Well, yeah. it's just in general, because I know, I know a lot of my trans female friends. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, you don't, I mean, those who will allow themselves to read about this stuff, which there's a lot of the world that won't even like address this part of life. But they tend to attract violence or fear right. for, you know, being violently attacked or things like that. And so I'm just curious, have you succumbed to any of that uh, on this journey? Well, definitely in early transition, I at least experienced a reasonable amount of translated harassment, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so I actually started um, dressing as a woman full-time even before I started hormones. Mm-hmm. I think during that period, there were occasionally times when people could tell that I was trans, right? Um, and, you know, like that, those situations were certainly um, really dangerous and scary, especially, you know, especially before I had gender reassignment surgery. Um, because because in that particular situation, somebody could hit on you, you're at a club, et cetera, et cetera. They right. could touch you in a place where, and then, you know, like, and then it all um, can go wrong. Um, and then, you know, like the other situation is, you know, like you could be in a dating situation and you don't tell somebody that you're trans and then they have a really strong reaction to you right. being trans. But I think the fact that, um, you know, like, A, I come, I have had, you know, the compared to a lot of trans people of color and trans women of color, you know, like, I've, I've never really worked in the informal economy, you know, so I've had, um, 
city job. So it so it's less likely for me to be on the street. You know, like that that has been a factor in me. You know, sort of like being less susceptible um, to threats of violence. And um, and I think the fact that I'm not sort of I don't know, like there's something about me not being immediately threatening to people. I think that's a factor, you know, like I think that um, a friend of mine um, who runs, uh, you know, who worked in the Miami um, trans community, who is, who is a black trans woman, describes it this way, right? You know, like she says, and she said it really vividly, where she said, well, you know, like when somebody's like 50, per- 50 feet away from me, you know, they can tell that like I'm a woman. And so already, you know, like on the street, I am like in greater danger right. than, than somebody who is not a woman. And then they get closer and they see that I'm black. Mm-hmm. And so then, you know, like that other part of their bias takes you know takes over and adds to the fact that and then when they're like 10 feet or five feet away they they, you know detect that i'm trans right Mm -hmm. and so that you know that combination of elements Mm -hmm. um leads people to be you know like really outwardly hostile to trans people and i think for me um that doesn't happen a lot right like even when people can tell that I'm trans or can um, or find out that I'm trans, it's less likely to, for them to have a strong reaction in part because I don't read as trans to them, right? right? Um, and not that I haven't been, you know, like I've definitely experienced harassment, certainly. Um, I've been in a couple of, you know, sort of like, I've been in situations with people who are transphobic who knew that I was trans and were offended by the sheer fact that I'm trans. But I think that's a very different kind of um, dynamic than the type of, you know, like violence that a lot of trans women Mm -hmm. unfortunately face, right? Like a lot of the violence that I've faced in terms of my, you know, like in terms of my experience has been more, you know, the, the type of violence that women in general experience, mm-hmm. right? Like violence in in dating situations or sexual encounters and, mm-hmm. you know, the coercion and, you know, and, um, you know, like those types of situations, I've definitely, that's definitely been part of my experience um, and has definitely made it, you know, like made those types of situations like sex mm-hmm. um, and relationships more complicated, right? Um, and that's something, that's something that I did not expect when I, mm-hmm. when I started transition, you know, when I started transition, I still had very much like the mindset of a gay man, you know, I was just mm-hmm. like, oh, great. You know, like so many more people want to have sex with me and, right. you know, like, and, um, I, you know, like there, there are so many more straight men than gay men. Mm-hmm. Um, and so many of them want to have sex with a thin blonde woman, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was only over time that that I became much more aware of, you know, like the risks and difficulties of being involved um, with cis straight men. 
it's a, it's such an interesting journey and, and I love the openness that you're sharing because I don't know that many people, and I, I've said this many times over the years since I came out of the closet, <clears throat> you know, we hear the, why would anybody choose that way? And da, 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 right. I wish people could wrap their heads around the fact that it, I don't want to say it's not a choice because we've heard that so many times over, but I wish they'd understand how much we all, especially I believe transgender individuals, but how much we all give and sacrifice to be who we are. And nobody out in the rest of the world, quote unquote, I'm putting this in big quotes, everybody who's listening, doesn't have to do it to quite this degree. Yes, you get told you can't be something and you get told, oh, that's stupid. You shouldn't try to do this. But I, I don't know that the general public, you know, heterosexual public, really gets this journey that we step into a space of this is important enough to me to do what it takes. Is it easy? Hell no. There's... Not a whole lot that's easy until you get to the place like I am and you. It sounds like you are to a good degree too. Of, I just don't care anymore. I don't care what you think of me. Right. But right. It, that other side of it is, it's like somebody who, you know, I used to talk about gay and lesbian couples and trans couples who finally able to have a child. And I can relate it to heterosexual couples who have a hard time having a child, but I don't, I think if people really think about it, how much they work, how much they invest to be able to have that parental experience. It's the hard work that we do to be ourselves that I wish people could put their arms around. And then they would really understand why pride <laughs> is such a big thing. For and I think also, and I think also that, you know, people don't take into account the fact that when they ask questions like, you know, like why would somebody choose to be that way? You know, the fact of the matter is that the reason why it's hard for people to be who they are is because those same people are policing them and telling them that they need to be one particular way in order for them, you know, to live in the world. And that, you know, like, and if that, and that if those people were to just mind their own business, mm -hmm. um, that, things won't be nearly as hard for, you know, queer people, trans people, mm -hmm. queer parents, you know, all of these people who are marginalized in their various communities. Absolutely. So we haven't got to the most important thing, the book. So you yes. captured much of this journey, much of your life in the book. And um, it's a beautiful book. I've seen the cover. So I'm really, I'm, I'm so glad you've got the book out. Why did you feel so compelled to like, it's time to do this memoir? Well, I mean, I think when I started writing notes and working on the book, I had, by that point, this was around, you know, early 2017, I mm -hmm. guess. Yeah. Um, I think that you know, maybe actually a little bit earlier than that, but I had been working super, super intensely on an investigative piece, a series of investigative pieces about Jennifer Laude, who is this trans woman who um, was murdered by a U.S. Marine mm -hmm. in the Philippines. And I had also 
you know, written a fair number of personal essays on trans-related topics, usually, you know, kind of like related to the news, related to something that's happening, whether it's like Caitlyn Jenner, or whether it's like trans people in the military, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. And I think that I just really felt a really strong urge to figure out um, what I want to write about for myself, right? Mm-hmm. Like what I want to be able to say to the world that is independent of news, that is independent of, you know, like what trans issue people happen to be talking about at the time, you know, because I was aware that my experience is unique and that trans memoirs already are pretty rare, but, um, you know, like a trans memoir by somebody who's albino, by somebody who's a first generation immigrant um, is, you know, is just, is just one of a kind. And so, um, and yeah, and I think, and I think too, and as I think the project evolved, one of the things that I realized is that I went through that process so quickly, you know, my mm-hmm. transition process, Right. I, I um, began dressing as a woman in January of 2000. And then I transition I medically transitioned by June of 2002 you know Mm -hmm. um and I was only on hormones for like less than a year you know these which at the time was really really unusual you know because this was in the early 2000s when usually you need to be in therapy for like 18 months and you need to you know and then another year before you can get surgery etc etc and so as the project evolved, it became much less about explaining my life journey to other people. It became a lot more about, you know, explaining that journey to myself so that then by me understanding it, other people can understand it too. Do you feel like you accomplished what you set out to do? I don't know. It's like I'm asking this journalist who's done investigative reporting and stuff like that. It seems like it's such a silly question, but I know when I got asked that question on my book, it was a definitive yes, and I'm still questioning, not sure. Hmm, that's really interesting. I mean, I I am really happy, really happy with the book for myself. Like, I yes. really am, you know, hugely, hugely happy to have written it. It has benefited me immensely as a person and as a writer um you know like a fair number of people who i love and respect and deeply deeply admire have read it and have expressed you know various forms of admiration and love for it and i think that for me actually like that's that's more than enough you know like everything else is gravy. I mean, it's been really, really amazing to see the reception of the book Mm -hmm. and how much press it's gotten and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, for me, at least, you know, all of that is our fringe benefits. You know, Mm -hmm. like my, my, my goal, my practical goal, having written, you know, like in terms of like what I wanted for this book was for me to be able to write another book and mm-hmm. more books and, and also like f- be able to feed myself in the process. Like as long as that's, as long as that's possible for me, like that's the degree to, of my sort of like practical ambition. Mm-hmm. 
and then everything else, you know, like everything else is icing on the cake. Um, I think I'm much more, I'm much harder on myself in terms of like the actual writing part, the actual being happy with the book and being happy with my work part. Yeah. I think that's probably like a lot more of my focus and the fact that, and it's really interesting because, you know, like I showed the book to, you know, two of my closest friends who are also writers and, you know, like they both came back and said, you know, like this book is really wonderful. I don't really have anything, any substantial criticisms of it. Um, and I knew them well enough to know that if they did, they would have been honest with me. Um, and that was enough, you know, like that's really, you know, for me, um, people that I care about liking the book is like the most important thing. Well, it's an amazing book that you've just brought into the world and it will touch many hearts. It will open many eyes is my belief. And it will showcase so many beautiful things that most books don't cover as much as you do. And I'm not talking about the story so much, but you cover gender, race, um, you know, immigration, your queerness, your privilege, you know, all the class, all that stuff. And it's such an interesting, beautiful web of living that I think is what will appeal to so many people. So I'm so happy to be one of the people that got to interview as this book has come out and to put it in front of our audience. Um, you can find it anywhere that you can buy books and it's fairest and it is under penguin random house. And I would invite everybody who would be interested to get a book, get a copy of it. And I am going to be giving away two copies of the book to the first two people who send me an email at rick at rickclemens.com is my gift to the world and also help celebrate pride. And also to support you, Meredith. I, I love this journey that you've shared with us and what you've been willing to do to be yourself. I think everybody deserves the right to be themselves, however that looks. And I'm really, I do feel very privileged to have had you on this podcast and to have you have shared yourself with us. So thank you so very, very much. Thank you so much. Um, I thank you for having me. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family. Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end and it is time for all of us to sashay away and go face our fears, make those bold moves and stand up to living our life without apology. But before you do, I've got a favor to ask of you. Would you hop over to iTunes or Spotify or Podbean or wherever it is that you're listening to this and just give us a little bit of love if you like what we're doing here at Life Uncloseted. Here's what it does. It helps other people find the show. It helps other people get to know what we're all about. And you just might help change a life. In fact, if you really want to change a life, we'd love it if you just ask a friend to take a listen and see what they think. So that's it. Love you all deeply. I'm Rick Clemens, the host of Life Uncloseted. And never stop stepping out, stepping up, and stepping into living your life uncloseted.